Welcome, everyone, to Fiona's R&D Tax Credits Podcast. We are here today with Erica York, economist with the Tax Foundation Center for Federal Tax Policy. Today, we'll be discussing R&D's role in economic growth and recovery. It's great to have you, Erica. I'm actually going to hand off this conversation to Cross-Border Solutions' own Director of R&D Tax Incentives, Rahim Walji. Rahim, you have the floor. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. And Wanted to welcome again a guest that we've had on before and had a wonderful time talking with Erica York. Pleasure to be speaking with you again. Yeah, it's great to be back. So for our audience, just to, who may not be familiar with Erica, so Erica is an economist with the Tax Foundation's Center for Federal Tax Policy. And today's conversation is going to center around the role of research and development in economic growth and recovery. So looking forward to our conversation today. Let's start out with just getting a, a sense of how things are going, right? So if you want to remind our audience where you're located and maybe tell us about what's happening up there in your neck of the woods today. Yeah, so so I work for a tax foundation, which is based in Washington, D.C., but I am I was fortunate to kind of be a little bit of a trendsetter in the, the remote workspace. And so I live in, in Kansas and work remotely from here. But of course, in, in D.C. and in the tax policy world, things are a buzz, you could say. We just yesterday had President Biden release a fact sheet on his infrastructure plan and and how he's going to pay for it. So lots of tax changes, especially on the corporate side, included in that plan. We've had the Recovery Act. And so that that in itself had a lot of tax changes. And then there's more talk of additional tax changes being proposed for, for further spending bills. So lots going on in the tax policy world. Absolutely. And lots of things happening in responses to a lot of different things, right? There's a lot of needs in different areas. So, you know, one of the pieces that has constantly been factored in, you know, over the last 40 years or so is, has been R&D, especially in terms of the U.S. And, and internationally as well. Why, from your perspective, is it important for countries to be competing in terms of R&D? Why would countries want to be leaders in innovation, so to speak? Yeah, so so innovation is a key driver of productivity. It's a key driver of, of value in the global economy. And we've seen throughout history that that various waves of innovation really lead to significant leaps in economic growth and lead to higher living standards. I mean, if you if you look around, you you see the benefits of innovation, especially over the last year and a half throughout the pandemic, because of changes in technology. Many of us have, have been able to fairly smoothly transition to, to working from home. Schooling has been able to happen at home. And then when you look in the public health space, things like just how amazingly fast a vaccine was developed and distributed and is, is getting into people's arms to, to bring an end to the pandemic, that's all being driven by, by innovation. And so countries want to, to compete to attract that, to, to boost living standards, for their citizens and to lead to these technological breakthroughs that, that have widespread benefits. Definitely. You know, the, the technology research, biomedical research that's happening, engineering, everything that's going on, definitely in relation to the pandemic, but even just, you know, traditional business in general and how those industries are, are innovating. Definitely can see why companies are vying for companies to come and, and sit and, and be housed in those areas. In terms of you know, one of the things that's happened over COVID is, you know, economic downturn, of course, right? And, and this happens for, for many reasons and has happened 
over over decades, right, in, in different economic you know sort of environments. But oftentimes, policymakers use research and development tax credits as a tool to kind of help jumpstart the economy. From your perspective, why is that such a you know tried and true method? Governments regularly use tax policy to either provide resources or incentives for for research done by businesses and for investments done by businesses. One of the ways that that we get back on our trajectory of economic growth is is by getting businesses to start investing again after a downturn. And so things that reduce the cost of that, like tax credits or like special deductions for certain activities, are things that are in the toolbox that, that governments use. Now, ideally, these, these would be implemented as long-term policies. There's several reasons why it would be more important to have a, a, a permanent policy rather than these these temporary tools that, that lawmakers sometimes use. But in general, these provisions reduce the cost of making investments and increased investment is is one way we get back on track for higher economic growth. And obviously there's also hopefully some attraction of these companies to come and take research from overseas and, and come here if they see better tax environments for them to work in, right? Yeah. So one of the questions with the the R&D tax credit in particular is whether it's incentivizing new activity or just causing businesses to move existing activity around. Of course, the the better thing for overall economic growth is if it's incentivizing new activity, causing businesses to, you know, have an incremental increase in in the amount of research and development activity they're doing to lead to, to new innovations rather than simply moving things around a little bit. The evidence indicates that a little bit of moving around does happen with, with the research and development tax credit, but also that, that it does increase spending overall and, and lead to innovation overall. Absolutely. You hire more technical folks, they get more salaries, they go spend money, and then the economy sort of gets a little bit of a boost, right? Yeah, that's right. And when they do have innovations or breakthroughs, those can spill over to similar industries. They can um, lead to benefits to unrelated industries, kind of this building on what others have done. And and so the benefits of of that increased R&D spending and, and the innovation that it results in aren't just contained to the one firm that's doing the activity. It has broader benefits for the economy overall. And that, that's why I think another reason why governments use tax policy to, to try to bring that activity home because it's so beneficial overall. So you touched on spillovers, right? I think these are important. And so what are some of these positive spillovers or these, you know, ancillary benefits, if you will, in terms of of how corporate businesses invest in R&D? Yeah, so this isn't going to be like an exact analogy of technological spillover, but one of my, my favorite examples for explaining that the benefits of something aren't just contained to to the person who does the activity, and it's pretty relevant to, to what's going on around us now, is is vaccinations. So when, when you get your shot, you're protected from, from the virus, but you're also helping everyone around you be protected. And so there's benefits that don't just happen to you, they happen to everyone around you. That's kind of the same thing that happens when there's a technological breakthrough at a firm, whether it's some new piece of technology, a new way of doing things, figuring out a new process and a new type of vaccine that can be built upon either by competitors, so people who are, who are trying to do the same thing as you, 
or even there can be technological improvements that, you know, cut across industries. And so those spillovers mean that the the benefits are larger than just what would be captured by the person doing the activity. That's one reason for subsidizing the activity. Since we all get to benefit from, from innovation, there is an economic reason for, for governments to subsidize it. It kind of gets into the idea of patents and things like that too, right? If a, if a firm can patent something, it might reduce the spillover since other firms can't necessarily just copy it, but that's not always the case. And so that's why providing these subsidies can increase the, the amount of, of R and D spending that we have, increase the amount of innovation. And that helps since everyone gets to benefit from it. The subsidy helps with that. Absolutely. Something like that comes to my mind is a company like Tesla, right? You, you think about, you know, yes, they're they're making cars, which have, have been around for, for a long time, but the fact that they're moving into the electric space, right? And how that is increasing battery technology and charging technology. And now you're seeing other companies, you know, sort of get on board. But at the same time, we're also now at, at the public level, right? You're seeing Tesla's, you know, building these battery facilities that, that you can have this large battery system go sit outside a building and power it now, as opposed to, you know, pulling energy off of the grid and things like that. So I definitely can, can see how the innovation and the breakthroughs then, yes, increase productivity, but then you have job creation and then you have economic growth, right? And I think one of the ITIF studies was, you know, every dollar that's spent on R&D generates almost $3 or more in economic output, right? So I think of something like a company like Tesla when I think of how these ancillary benefits can can kind of play out. Yeah, that's a fantastic example. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp so let's let's talk a little bit about how companies benefit so in the u.s how do companies take advantage of the r&d tax credit what benefits do do they get so generally the benefit of the r&d tax credit is that it reduces the cost of research and development spending Right now, the the credit is offered under a few different ways under the tax code. Generally, it's a percentage of how much a company's R&D spending exceeds a base amount of R&D spending. So the credit is trying to get at offsetting the cost of incremental increases rather than offsetting the cost of just research and development spending that a company would be doing anyway. So there's a couple different methods that that companies use to, to calculate their credit. Some of them are, are more complicated. Others are a little bit simpler. 
but generally it's going to be reducing the cost of that incremental spending. No, I, I agree with you. I think there are a few different ways to, to calculate and there are some that are, you know, we call I, the way I try to position it is you have a fixed period in time to look back at and then a rolling period in time you can look back at, right? But generally we see about, and, and let me know if you see this differently on your perspective, but generally it's about 10% of that incremental increase, depending on, you know, the different calculation methods out there. And ultimately I think you're right. It, it's, it, it helps to offset those costs by reducing tax liability. Right. And so now companies, instead of paying taxes can take that money and reinvest it in the business and even claim it retroactively. Right. And I think you're seeing why it's one of the most generous corporate tax credits, if not the most generous corporate tax credit that's available, but just unfortunately not every company takes advantage of it. Yeah, that's right. The Joint Committee on Taxation estimated that it cost about $12 billion last year. So that's that's the size that we're talking about. Most of that goes to corporations. Some of that goes to the pass-through sector, but but the vast majority of companies that, that take advantage of the research and development tax credit are, are corporations. And yeah, you're, you're right on, on those amounts. The, the regular credit rate is 20% of qualified research expenditures, and, and that's above the base level that, that looks back in time to, I think, 1981. And then there's an alternative simplified credit. That's a tax credit equal to 14% of, of your qualified research expenditures. And that's looking at a shorter time period. So it, it operates more like a moving average. And that's for companies that don't have that, that spending history going all the way back to, to 1981. And then new companies that are just starting R&D, you know, you get, I think, 6% of your spend for that year. And, and that's what's interesting is the U.S. is one of the few countries that has an incremental credit, right? As you were mentioning, you have to look at this base period, and then the increase over that base period is what you get a percentage of, whereas other countries do a volume-based credit, right? You were mentioning it's sort of focused on the R&D in that year, and you just get a percentage back of how much you spend. And what are your thoughts on the kind of the difference between incremental versus volume-based? I think incremental is is the better structure, especially when the goal of the the research and development tax credit is to lead to, to increased research and development spending. So by offsetting the cost of spending more, you're you're really incentivizing that step up in the amount of research and development spending that happens. If it's a credit just based on total research and development spending, you would be reducing the cost of investing more, but you would also just be subsidizing activity that's going to happen anyway. There's still incentives in, in the private market for businesses to, to take on risks because there's a potential of, of significant profits. That remains even if you don't have any tax incentives. So providing the tax incentive on incremental spending targets it more towards increases in overall spending rather than just subsidizing things that companies would be doing anyway. Definitely agree with that perspective. And let's talk about, you know, how R&D can specifically help during economic uncertainty, right? So why is it important for companies to consider the tax credit during economic uncertain times? And can you talk to maybe some of the benefits and, and how the credit can be used and, and how businesses kind of think about it. I think that would be helpful for the audience. So the, the R&D tax credit can be used to offset payroll tax liability up to $250,000. And firms also in the tax code have the ability to carry forward net operating losses. So these are provisions that help even if a company doesn't have profits that it could use to be offset by the regular R&D tax credit. 
That's especially helpful in times of economic uncertainty. And it's also helpful for firms that are new or, or smaller businesses because they, they might not be able to take advantage of an immediate tax benefit from the R&D tax credit for, for whatever reason. So having the ability to take it against your payroll tax liability and also having provisions in the tax code dealing with losses and, and the ability to carry those forward can help smooth tax liability out over time and can also help businesses take advantage of the credit even if they otherwise wouldn't be able to. Right. And that money coming back, right, it allows them to to free up some cash, right, and, and allow them to spend it in a way that makes sense for their business and to continue innovating as opposed to putting it in the government coffers, right? Yeah, that's right. It still helps reduce the cost of making those investments, even if you can't take advantage of that tax asset in the year that you're doing the investment. Let's talk a little bit more. I think we've, we've talked a lot about the, the larger companies, but you touched on the startups and you touched on, you know, some of the smaller businesses and how the payroll tax offset can come in. Startups play a huge, huge role in economic recovery. So how does the R&D tax credit affect startups? As we talked about earlier, for newer companies that that don't have that long history or that, that large base of R&D expenditures, they can use a, a simplified credit. And that's worth 6% of their current year qualified research expenditures. That's helpful for a few reasons. One, that's a lot a lot simpler. And then two, it makes the credit available to them even without that history. The other things we mentioned, being able to take against payroll tax liability are also really important for startups because they might not have that income tax liability to even be able to offset yet. One of the, the general detriments in the tax code for startup businesses is that if you make a profit, you're you're subject to an immediate tax liability that, that same year the profit is earned. But if you turn a loss, you don't always get an immediate tax benefit. That's especially hard for, for startups because a new business tends to run a loss for several years before they, they earn a profit. And so having those provisions within the R&D tax credit that you can offset some of your payroll tax liability is important for these businesses. And these startup businesses are where we tend to see a lot of jobs, a lot of spending happen. And so they're very important for economic recovery and for innovation in in regular times too. Right. And that's that new spending you were talking about, right? These startups are those the new investments in R&D as opposed to that continued investment from, from larger organizations that already exist. And I think, you know, that you have the payroll offset. There was also, you know, AMT turnoff and the recalculation of your AMT base so that if all these smaller businesses that were in an AMT position could, could lower that floor and take advantage of this. And we actually did a, a podcast pretty recently about state level R&D credits and it demonstrated exactly what you're saying, right? That, that the R&D tax credits help startup businesses flourish more than the long established firms because those companies have cash flow, they have infrastructure, all that's built for them, right? It's already in process. Whereas the newer companies are, are trying to get their footing and trying to, you know, make sure that every dollar goes back in. That's why you hear so many founders, right? Don't take a salary, don't take a lot of money on the front end because they want every dollar going back into the business to keep it growing. Yeah, that's right. A lot of companies think that the R&D tax credit is not necessarily worth the cost of applying or the effort of applying. What would you have to say to some of those companies from your perspective? Yeah, there's a recent research paper that argues that 
within the United States that it's not uncommon for a company to leave 10 to up to 30% of its credit unclaimed. And they say that's that's due to the expense and the difficulty of effectively documenting everything that you need for the, the credit. I think that that's particularly true of, of smaller businesses that may not have the bandwidth to do all the compliance work that they would need to for the R&D tax credit. That's why we've seen lots of proposals to move completely toward the, the simplified credit structure. There are also just a lot of tests that, that you have to do to make sure that, that your research expenditures qualify for the credit. The first one of those tests is that it has to qualify under cost recovery rules. And once it meets that qualification, I think there's three more tests that the spending has to meet. And so one easy way to simplify that would be to say, let's just use the same rules that apply for cost recovery instead of these other tests that have to go through. And I think with with simplifications like that, we would see a lot more companies take advantage of the R&D tax credit to the full extent that they could rather than leaving some of it unclaimed because they think that it's not worth it because of all the compliance costs that would go into it. Wow. 10 to 30%. That's a that's a huge, huge amount to be leaving on the table. If you companies that, that's even spending a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars on R and D, that's you know they're they're leaving a significant amount on the table. Hi, I'm Matthew Demello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. I think I would agree with you that, you know, when you're leaving that kind of money on the table because of the, the perception that it's a, a challenge in times of economic uncertainty, that money is even more beneficial and more crucial to, to keeping the growth and keeping the momentum going when you have that downturn happen. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Being able to, to take advantage of all the provisions in the tax code that are there, you know, four times like this, when we need research and development, when we need increased investment, but saying, no, I can't do that because it's, it's just too complex. That's, that's too bad. That's, that's why we should always be working towards a simpler tax code. That's, that's easy, especially for, for these small businesses without, you know, an, an army of, of tax attorneys to help them comply with. Yeah. I think, I think we need to move towards a simpler structure so that it can work as it's intended to work. Definitely. And one positive though, with this whole thing is that, you know, as technology has improved, not just with vaccines and things like that, but as technology has improved, you know, hopefully we're seeing companies leverage that technology to keep better track of documents, to store more information, to be able to better support their claims and hopefully not drop that extra 10 to 30%. Wow. Yeah. Does the R&D tax credit itself spur activities that would not have been performed if the credit didn't exist? 
Yeah, I think the research indicates that the research and development credit does lead to increased R&D spending. The question to ask after that is, well, does that increased spending lead to valuable innovations? And again, the answer there is yes, sometimes. Some of the economic literature says that, well, the R&D tax credit you know, leads to a little bit of bloat. It leads companies to reclassify spending that they're already doing as qualified research expenditures. I think that happens on the side somewhat, but but overall, it's safe to say that the R&D tax credit does lead to increased spending and that that does lead to increased innovation. A review done in 2019 of R&D tax policies suggested that a 10% reduction in the tax cost of R&D spending translates to a 10% long-run increase in R&D. And then there's other evidence that says that over time, higher R&D spending, and especially if it's subsidized through the tax system, can translate to valuable innovations. There's a study in, in 2016 that pretty clearly spells that out. They examined R&D tax subsidies in the UK and found that the policy led to higher spending on R&D and valuable new patents. So I think that the research shows that it increases you know, both goals of the R&D tax credit, which is increasing spending on research and development activities and doing that in a way that, that leads to valuable innovations. So let's touch on the innovation piece a little bit more, right? So one of the buzzwords that you you hear constantly with R&D is, is innovation. And in your research and, and you know, from, from the, the materials that are out there, does it show that increased R&D spending always leads to increased innovation? Not always. So, so not every research and development product, not every investment is going to be a, a breakthrough technology. And that's part of the risk, right? You're you're making sometimes a risky investment on the hopes that it that it pans out and, and has a high return. That doesn't always happen. But when it does, it, it tends to be pretty valuable. The research shows pretty definitively that that R&D tax credits and, and subsidies do lead to increased spending. The bigger research question is, does that lead to innovation? And there, there's a lot of research that indicates, yes, it, it does lead to, to valuable additions to, to the economy. That doesn't always happen, but sometimes it does. And so that's why these policies tend to be worth it. So if I, if I understand you correctly, it's not necessarily the size of the R&D investment that counts, but how it gets utilized by the, the business that, that's claiming it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. So there's some further research. This is kind of like on the negative side that there can be an increase in patenting activity. I think it's a 3% increase in patenting activity for every one percentage point reduction in, in the tax rate on that research and development activity. That would seem to indicate, you know, like, oh, more patents are getting approved. That must automatically mean we're having a lot more innovation. It's not necessarily just patenting new innovations. It can be patenting things that, that already exist just to ensure that the firms get to enjoy the profits from them. But I think even though that happens some, that's not what's happening with all of the research and development spending. So it's it's beneficial, like you say. Right. You know, I think about what's happening right now in terms of the, the crypto world, right? These non-fungible tokens and being able to own all these different things, whether it's owning a tweet or owning artwork, you know, the patent is is great for that business to to kind of reap the benefits of all that work, but it it sort of stops other companies from also taking advantage and building on it. They've got to sort of start all over and, and get that patent. So I could see how you know patents have some benefit, but they also have some some downsides as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
the R&D tax credit itself is, is now a permanent fixture. How does having a permanent credit help promote economic growth versus a credit that, you know, was getting renewed every year, every two years? Yeah, that, that's a really important point, especially as, as we're thinking about, about tax policies and investments. Investments tend to happen over a longer time horizon. It's not just a, oh, I have this idea. I'm really quickly going to do my entire investment this year. It takes time to plan things, to put things in place, and then to actually start doing your your research or your building or, or what whatever it is that you're doing. And so if you have a tax code that's you know changing every year, you're not sure what the tax treatment of your investment is going to be next year. That's that's an environment that that is not conducive to long-term growth, long-term decision making. And so it's a really good thing that that the research and development tax credit is a permanent policy because that means companies can be forward looking and be able to count on what's in the tax code not changing. When we're on that topic, the the tax code and the treatment of research and development expenses is getting ready to change starting next year. While while companies will still have access to the R&D tax credit, the way that they're able to recognize their just their expenditures on research and development in the tax code is, is going to change from 100% deductibility in the year the expenditure happens to amortization over five years. So that means essentially we have a tax increase on R&D baked into the tax code right now. And that's not something that that's good for, for long-term growth, especially as we're, you know, right at the start of an economic recovery. Let's dig into that because I think that's a key piece, right? Now the, the credit's permanent, but the TCJA did have this, this change to the amortization piece that you just mentioned. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, how will that directly affect taxpayers? And then do you agree with that that change just from your perspective? Yeah. So so essentially the way to think about switching from a full expensing deduction to five-year amortization is that that's going to increase the cost of, of making investments. And the reason for that has to do with inflation, which is pretty low. And then also just the, the time value of money or, or the opportunity cost of, of spending that money on, on a project now when you could have done other things, but you don't get the full deduction for that investment on your tax return. It's it's kind of like if I say, hey, could I borrow $100 from you? And five years from now, I'll pay you back, but I'm only going to pay you back $100. You'd say, mm, no, I think I, I want to be compensated for waiting. And that doesn't happen when, when you have to wait to take your deductions on your tax return. So you never really get to recover the full value of your investment when you have to wait. So obviously that's not a good thing. I think that that lawmakers should, and there seems to be bipartisan support for this, cancel that that upcoming tax change and and let companies deduct their research and development costs. I think since 1954 they've they've been able to fully deduct them, and so that's a longstanding change. It's a recognition that immediately deducting those expenses is an important part of the tax code, and that that shouldn't be changed going forward. In your research, and you mentioned the bipartisan support that's there, and, and really the reason that, that the TCJA had this change in the amortization was really to offset the budget of, of what the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was doing. They, they needed a way to balance the budget, so they said, well, we'll throw this in there, and, and, and that'll help balance out you know, how the government's spending the money. In what you're seeing in terms of the, the legislative landscape and, and you know, congressional landscape, do you think that there's a, a strong chance that portion will get repealed, you know, given the longstanding history of, of, you know, since the 50s being able to do this? 
Yeah, that, that's my hope. And you're right. It was just a sort of budget gimmick way to raise revenue. The, the change was not put into the TCGA for, for policy merits. That's for sure. There was a hearing in the Senate Finance Committee, I think it was last week, and and it was on manufacturing and, and the tax code. And most of the, the policy talk was about this change to R&D, requiring it to be amortized over five years. There, there was also some talk about you know investment tax credits and, and things like that. But a lot of it was support for, for ending this, this change. And so I, I do think there's, there's bipartisan support for it. Unfortunately, the president released his, his fact sheet yesterday talking about lots of the tax changes that, that he's planning for, for this next package that they're going to try to pass. Canceling amortization for R&D was not included in that. I think it would be really smart to make that part of any infrastructure package. There's direct funding for, for R&D in, in the proposal right now, but there's not anything, at least in the fact sheet yet, saying that it's going to be part of the infrastructure plan. There tends to be year-end tax bills every year in December, so it could be something that that's put into a year-end tax bill. Ideally, they'd take care of it, you know, a little bit sooner rather than waiting, you know, just a couple days before the expiration. Yeah, it reminds me of back in the days where they would renew the R&D credit already into the year after it expired. You know, it, it sort of yeah. it gives a lot of uncertainty. And I think, you know, hopefully, you know, if if the corporate tax rates are going to increase, hopefully that 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 influx of of tax going in could maybe offset you know what what changing the amortization or keeping the amortization as it is now would 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 be helpful but i think as you said it's it's not in the fact sheet yet but hopefully coming down the pipeline yeah that that would be ideal especially if if we're talking about a, a higher corporate tax rate then making sure that we allow companies to take deductions for the investments that they're making becomes even more important one change that gets batted around a lot in different proposals and in different administrations is is increasing the benefit, right? So the Obama administration had proposed raising the alternative simplified credit from 14 to 18%. I think in 2019, the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation, ITIF, suggested raising it to 25% with the research showing that it could pay for itself, you know, in 15 years. Do you think changing the ASC would incentivize more companies to apply in terms of, you know, if it was more generous for startup businesses without tax liability? What, what are your thoughts there? I think increasing the, the generosity would, would make it more worthwhile for more businesses to take advantage of it. I think also any, any increase in, in the credit rate should be paired with simplifications that, that help small businesses access it. And that too would, would help make it more equal across just different firms because it would be easier to comply with. So things like replacing that, that definition of qualified research expenditures with the definition of research expenditures that are eligible for expensing would be pretty low hanging fruit, pretty simple way to make it easier, especially for those small businesses to comply. And if you pair that with a more generous credit, then that that makes the calculation even more worth it. I also think though that, that you can't think about expanding these subsidies without getting the foundational treatment of R&D in the tax code right. And so that gets back to that canceling R&D amortization. Why would we be denying deductions for research and development when we want to be subsidizing it? So I think any any increase on the credit side ought to be paired with making sure that just the general recognition of expenses in the tax code is right. Yeah, because if, if that amortization law doesn't change, then companies don't get the value immediately back, right? Which means 
they're going to choose to invest money elsewhere where they're going to see a better rate of return, so to speak, then you're not going to grow as fast. And then, you know, all of this really is interconnected in the economy, right? So if, if companies aren't continuing to invest in R&D because they have to, they get the benefits over five years as opposed to immediately, these really, really big projects where they need to invest $10 million this year, $20 million this year is, is less likely to happen, right? Yeah, it increases the cost of, of making some of those investments. And so it might mean that, that some are less worthwhile after that tax change would happen. You talked a little bit earlier about President Biden and, and the administration and what some of their upcoming proposals for R&D are. And he's, he's, President Biden's talked about incentivizing domestic manufacturing. The American Growth Act has you know a portion that, that wants to expand the R&D credit and has some special call outs for medical and drug manufacturing. What are your thoughts about, you know, isolating these certain industries in terms of the incentives available? Is this an effective method? I think anything that's worth providing to to one industry is worth making generally available. So if if we think that, you know, a, a better credit or a better expensing deduction is going to increase investment for, for pharmaceutical companies, why not make that broadly available? One, then you would be increasing investment overall. And then two, you're, you're not making things quite so complicated. Whenever there's a, a narrow provision in the tax code, that can lead to distortions, that can lead to lobbying from, from specific industries. It can lead other industries to want their special credit or deduction. So I think it's, it's more effective to just have a tax code that is broadly favorable to innovation, broadly favorable to investment, rather than to try to carve out specific areas in the economy that, that get favorable treatment. So if, if Erica York had a, a magic wand and could you know make changes to the laws that exist and, and how everything is, what expansions do you think could be made immediately to help promote economic growth? Or what, what changes would you make to the R&D tax credit to kind of stimulate the growth? Yeah, so, so I think... The, the first thing I would do would just be simplify the definition of, of what qualifies, move toward the, the alternative simplified credit, perhaps increase the credit rate. I haven't given that a, a lot of thought, but where I think the the real bang for the buck is, is looking at, at those cost recovery questions. So immediately canceling amortization of R&D, expanding full expensing to structures. So so the factories that that people build warehouses, things like that. Those have really bad treatment right now in the tax code. And those are really large investments. So improving cost recovery treatment there, improving cost recovery treatment of of machinery and equipment. Right now that gets a 100% deduction in the tax code, but that's also scheduled to phase down one of those TCJA changes. So making that permanent. And so giving businesses the certainty they need on the cost recovery side and then cleaning up and, and simplifying the, the research and development credit so that more smaller firms can access it. I think combining those two things would really be an effective way to, to increase investment, increase R&D, and, and help boost economic growth. Erica, what do you find so interesting about tax policy? I think it's really cool how basically anything that has has a financial aspect to it is is influenced by by tax policy so we can think about you know the vaccine development and and how their research and development costs were treated there's the whole thing going on with with the semiconductor shortage and there are tax angles to that too like like how the tax code treats inventories and that has a bit of influence on on why like automakers use just in time manufacturing because of the way the tax code 
treats inventory. So really about anything that that is happening in the economy, there's a tax policy angle to it, a way that the tax policy could could improve things. So we've talked a lot today about the different aspects of R&D. We've talked about amortization. We've talked about startups. We've talked about new R&D versus continuing R&D. Given this economic downturn, you know, given the COVID-19 pandemic, what advice do you have for companies in terms of the R&D credit? Why do you think it's still worth applying for? So tax preferences for, for research and development and, and for innovation are, are common around the world. And the goal of those policies is to, to incentivize businesses to invest in research that, that's going to lead to high value innovations. Those policies reduce the tax costs of, of making investments, which policymakers think will, will lead to more innovations being developed than in the absence of the policy. And I think research bears that out. So while each company has to make a cost-benefit analysis for themselves, is the compliance cost of the R&D tax credit worth it? I think in in so many cases it is, and in so many cases it it does lead to increased research and development spending, which leads to to valuable innovations, which, which boosts economic growth, creates jobs, and in the environment that we're in right now, coming out of this pandemic-induced recession and and hopefully having a strong economic recovery, investments in R&D are, are going to be perhaps even more crucial before as, as we're having to, you know, do, do a lot of reallocation, change the way we work, change the way we do school. There have been so many innovations in, in healthcare too. So I think all, all of that comes into play as, as companies are, are making their investment decisions going forward and the research and development tax credit the economic literature shows that that it is effective in, in increasing that spending. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross-Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai slash rd. That's xbs.ai slash rd. We want to thank Eric and Rahim for a very informative discussion. We also want to thank everyone at home for tuning in. Subscribe to this podcast and Cross Borders suite of tax podcasts on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This podcast counts for two one-fifths of a CPE credit, and you can claim those credits by emailing the Fiona Show at xbs.ai. That's it for now. Stay safe, everyone. Wear a mask, and we'll see you soon. Catch everyone next week. <laughs>